0: Hadn't run into him in a long time to come and drill them when he had some spare time. And uh, I don't know that I mentioned it or not, but uh, we're getting probably forty to $50,000 worth of wells drilled if you were just to go out and, and contract anyone in the world. I know we're, we're making 30-inch holes and putting a 12-inch casing in, and, and the rest is gravel. And when we were first out here, there was one of the fellows in... Uh, Colorado City, the drills. And I think it was around 11,000 he quoted me for a well, just like these that we're putting in. So it's worked out very nicely. And uh, you'll all be getting a bill for 8,000 apiece. No, yeah, she says, okay, yeah. (laughs) Catch me when you can. No, actually... uh, it's only costing us, I, I think, I haven't totaled it all up, but probably around 4000 cash for gravel and compressor rental and that type of thing. And the rest of it they're trading out in gemstones, which I have. So uh, his wife likes rubies and sapphires and emeralds and such things, and they were willing to trade it out. So since I had those... They're mine, but I've had them for several years since I traded for them from land in Alaska, and now we're able to, uh, to put them to use here. So I was very thankful for that, and I think we'll all have a great blessing from it. I just got a call just before coming over here from someone else, or someone somewhere else in the country, who said, man, I want to move out there so bad, and he says, What's a mobile home gonna cost me? About eighty <clears> thousand? And he, he's willing to do it even if he had to pay that kind of money for a mobile home. That that's how bad he will. yeah, might as well get a big long motor home. Well, a used one <laughs> for eighty thousand. But uh He's anxious to get out here and was sort of exploring the idea. I said, "Well, I know we're buying new 16 wides for the 30 in the 30 to 40,000 range, and uh, and some people have only paid two or three thousand for their home. Be prepared to bring a hammer with you. But in time, it works out. But we've bought some pretty nice ones for nine to eleven or twelve or fifteen thousand that are almost new. So." Uh, He was elated to hear that. I I hear there are quite a few that usually are here for the Feast who are planning on being here for Passover and uh, spending the whole time with us, so I'm looking forward to that. I am working on the material that I want to put together to send out to all the church areas. about passover and i wanted to get that out in the next few weeks in fact i had planned to already have it but this well drilling thing came up and i could i could have him when i could have him and that was the only time so that's i've been sort of working slowly on that but i want to get back to it now that this is winding up and get that information out as soon as possible because i want people to have some lead time before passover But it was also suggested, I thought this was interesting, someone said, why don't you do an article or a a letter about the keys to understanding prophecy today, Uh, much in the same light as, uh, well, what we had is U.S. and B.C. in prophecy, uh, which came out to explain who Israel is, what they're doing, and where they would be in the end time and so on, and how that truly opened people's eyes. And ironically, I had been thinking the exact same words that were suggested as we need a booklet about prophecy as we now understand it pertaining to the church and the code words that are used to understand the prophecies today. And I think that the information would be just as vital as what we got in the United States and British Commonwealth in prophecy all those decades ago. That was an introduction to who physical Israel is. Now we need the code words to show where spiritual Israel is and how to, un- how to understand the Bible prophecies in that light. And I think the opening of this understanding is as important and as relevant as the U.S. and B.C. was to us when we first came into the church 30, 40, 50 years ago. So I, uh, that had been on my mind, and just those words, and somebody came to me and spoke exactly what I was thinking, I thought this has to be uh, something God must want <laughs> for, for two of us to come up with the exact same thought and then the same week. So uh, I, I think that that would be a good thing to do, uh, put it perhaps in article form. Well, that's about it as far as news and thoughts along those lines are concerned. I want to go to a part of the Bible tonight that we might not go to too often. Maybe we do in personal study, but it it's an interesting perspective, I think, to understand the book of Deuteronomy. This is the fifth and the last book that Moses wrote, and what it does is it summarizes the law, which was laid out uh, here and there in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and it is a summary, and what it is for is to prepare, or was was at that time, to prepare Israel to go into the land. And the the parallel is very interesting between then and now in that our focus should be preparing to go into the land, or into the kingdom of God, and whatever land he might have for us here on this earth in the meantime. Uh, I was reading it from that perspective recently, and, and it's very interesting that many of the things we'll see in Deuteronomy, we're seeing in the prophecies and we're seeing in the New Testament, uh, to prepare us as a bride for Christ to go into the kingdom. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. So the things we'll see in the book of Deuteronomy are a summary of the words of God to that point and to prepare them for what lay ahead of them. Or, you might term it, preparing for our inheritance. And let's then go to the book of Deuteronomy, and I I might have a series of Bible studies on this, because we're certainly not going to get through it all tonight. We might just, if we did a quick survey, but that doesn't do justice to it. We need to... Look at all of God's words, as we'll see right here in the book itself, as we finally get to that point. These be the words which Moses spoke to all Israel on this side of Jordan in the wilderness. We're in the spiritual wilderness, and I think God has brought us out here to this physical wilderness for a purpose as well. So he addressed all Israel, probably stood up on a hill and addressed them all at one time, to give them words that they needed prior to being ready to go into that land and to then in turn actually do it. So it was on the east side of the Jordan before they crossed, in the wilderness, in the plain over against the Red Sea, between Paran and Tophel and Laban and Hazaroth and Dizahab. There are 11 days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir unto Kadesh Barnea. In other words, they had some walking to do, some ground to cover, before they could enter. And do we not also have some ground to cover, some walking to do, before we're ready to enter as well? And it came to pass, in the 40th year, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month, that would be in the range of January to February, uh, 11th month. This is perhaps a good time to, uh, <laughs> to uh, look at this. We're approaching the same time of year that they were in when they were on the one side of the Jordan preparing to go over, and of course they went over then at Passover time, just before So, in the 40th year, the 11th month, on the first day of the month, Moses spoke to the children of Israel, according to all that the Lord had told. What month is this now? This is the beginning of the 11th month. This is the first day of the 11th month. I hadn't thought of that. Maybe this is timely. I prayed and asked God, what should I go through in Bible study? <laughs> I need, I, you know, I, I, I held this up, I said... Father, that's a big book. What do we need to look at? And for some reason, I immediately began to think of Deuteronomy. In my mind, earlier in the day, I thought, well, maybe we should go into the New Testament. We've been in the Old Testament so much, and I was sitting thinking, well, where in the New Testament would be a good place to go? And then I prayed about it, and Deuteronomy came to mind. It's kind of the New Testament of the Old Testament, anyway. Uh, the New Testament is there to prepare us with a new covenant, to show us how to get into the kingdom of God, and this is really the same story, but it's about them going into the land of Canaan, or into the promised land. Well, I'll be jiggered. I thought, I was thinking, is this the 11th or the 10th or the 11th month? But it's got to be the 11th. All right, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month, this is the anniversary of that today, that Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Eternal had given him in commandment to them. So what he's going to do is summarize then all the things that God had told him, and he's going to review it before them as they listen. We're getting rain in Seattle season. The, the well driller was complaining a little bit about it raining here all the time. <laughs> I told him this was unusual. <clears throat> it's like this 300 days a year in Seattle. You know, it's just normal for there. Anyway, these are the words of Moses. After he had slain Sihon, the king of the Amorites, which dwelt in Heshbon and Og the king of Bashan, which dwelt at Astaroth or Easter, in Edrei. So these are the things God spoke after he had done some incredible things to deliver Israel, to bring them along to the point they were uh, then at. On this side Jordan, in the land of Moab, began Moses to declare this law. saying, The Lord our God spoke to us in Horeb, saying, You have dwelt long enough in this mouth. There's a point where God says, All right, you've been where you are long enough. It's time to do something different. It's time to move forward. And I think that we are in that position right now uh, where God wants us to move forward. I had someone some years back, say, we're just treading water. And at the time I thought, that doesn't sound so good. <laughs> Have you ever been in a pool and just treading water? You don't really go anywhere, do you? And that stuck in my mind. How long are we in a holding pattern? I've been in holding patterns in airplanes going round and round and round, waiting to come down and wondering if we were going to come down uh, as a result of running into somebody else in a holding pattern as well. And that's sort of what's happening to the churches. So maybe we've sat in one place long enough No, we haven't, have we, all of us? We've been making some moves and some changes. But there's a time that you stay in one place long enough and it's time to do something else. And I think we recognize that, and I think that we should. Moses and the people at this point were considering that and what needed to be done. We're considering very strongly now making a move forward from where we already are here. And that is to begin to address the rest of the church in a very direct way. And maybe it is time to move from where we are in that sense. You've dwelt long enough in this mount. Turn you and take your journey and go to the Mount of the Amorites, and to all the places near thereto, in the plain, in the hills, and in the vale, and in the south. You remember the word Amorite or Morite? Moroni? Interesting connection there, interesting coincidence. Uh, we have come into the land of the Morites here in southern Utah, northern Arizona. In the plain, in the hills, and in the vale, and in the south, and by the seaside, to the land of the Canaanites. Interesting again. Every time we go to St. George, we have Mount Canaan on our right, and the Canaan Mountains. You look out here, and you see the end of the Canaan Mountain Range, just above Colorado City. And the Lebanon, under the great river, the river Euphrates. I don't know that we're near the Eu- river Euphrates, but I drove by Short Creek this afternoon late and it's a raging torrent. Uh, the Virgin River is almost out of its banks, in fact is out of its banks in places. Uh, Riverside Drive in St. George was closed and flooded. And I heard it the plumbing place this morning early, I was in there about, Well, it was about 8 o'clock, I guess, when I went in, and they were talking about the news of the day. Apparently there were two men that were washed away and drowned in the Virgin River this morning. Uh, They were planting sandbags. I haven't heard another report on the news or anything, but that's what they were talking about, so I I don't know whether it's a fact or not. How did I get from here to there? Behold, I have set the land before you. God gives you opportunity. We have opportunity today to go into the kingdom of God. We have opportunity also to come out of this world, to go to a place that God may have selected, and eventually to go to a place of safety. God always sets openings, opportunities, and doors before us. But he doesn't pick us up by the arm or the shoulder or the nape of the neck and carry us there. He expects us to do something. I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the eternal swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them and to their seed after them. And I spoke to you at that time, saying, I am not able to bear you myself alone. Moses is saying, I can't do this for you. This is something you have to do for yourself. God will not do it for you. He gives you opportunity, and we're going to see he gives you a choice that you have to make before we reach the end of this book. God will lead you to water, but he won't make you drink. We ourselves have to do something. He expects us to have works if you want to use New Testament. And he expected something of them. He didn't say, you stand over here now, and he said, I'll go clear out everybody in front of you, and then I'll open the river for you, and I'll I'll take you over, and I'll spoon-feed you. No, he said, you go, do something. Good advice for us to think about. Moses said, I I told you, I, I can't do this all for you. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are this day as the stars of heaven for multitude, probably several million of them. While many had died in the wilderness, they had replaced themselves with younger. The Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times so many more as you are, and bless you as he has promised you. How can I myself alone bear your encumbrance and your burden and your strife? Moses says, This is too much for me. I can't do it for you. If the righteous scarcely be saved, where does a sinner appear? What was it uh, he said of Job, Moses, and Daniel? I think that's in is that Jeremiah or Ezekiel? were to appear before me, they could save only themselves. Even as righteous as those three men were, uh, they couldn't save you or me. So let's realize that we have a job to do, and only we can do it. No one can do it for us. Take you, this is what he told them now, take you wise men and understanding and known among your tribes, and I will make them rulers over you. And you answered me and said, The thing which you have spoken is good for us to do. They realized that they needed to find the wise men among them and receive help from them to accomplish what it was that they needed to accomplish. And that's what true leadership is about. It's helping us accomplish what we need to do that will bring us blessing in the long run. It's not so that someone can be on a power trip and be able to give orders and have those carried out and feel, well, I must be better than everyone else because I can tell them what to do and they do it. That was the power trips that we saw in Worldwide years ago. Everybody wanting a deacon's armband and so on. We've been over that before. But that's the wrong kind of leadership. It's not even leadership. It's the wrong kind of rule. Let's put it that way. The right kind of rule will enable you to do and to accomplish what you need to accomplish. And we all have to be humble enough to recognize that we all need help. Now, I do a lot of preaching. But sometimes it's nice to sit back and listen to someone else and get preached at as well. Of course, I can say that, and we're going to, you know, he's the guy talking, but uh, you have to think these things through before you can say them, in many cases. You have to pray. You have to prepare. And the one who is doing the speaking often learns more than the one doing the listening because you have to focus. So maybe the ones who do the talking need it the worst. I know I feel that way. And I just as soon have somebody else speak. But on the other hand, God positioned me to speak a long time ago. And I had better do it and do it right and not do it out of constraint, but to try to help you help yourselves, to try to help you see what you need to do and encourage you to get it done so that you can be blessed. That's what it's all about. So they recognized that that was a wise thing. So I took the chief of your tribes, wise men, and known, and made them heads over you, captains over thousands, captains over hundreds, captains over 50s and captains over ten, and officers among your tribes. Now that's very much the way that the government will be in the world tomorrow as well. You will have kings over each of the tribes, David is king over all the tribes, and so on and so forth, but there will be order, there will be direction, there will be uh, authority so that... There will not be confusion and corruption. It will be righteous authority for a change. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what he did in the Old Testament, he, does, he has done in the New Testament, and he will do in the kingdom of God. And I charged your judges at that time, saying, Hear the causes between your brethren, and judge righteously between every man and his brother, and the stranger that is with him. Uh, You shall not respect persons in judgment, but you shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid of the face of man, for the judgment is God's. And the cause that is too hard for you, bring it to me and I will hear it. So Moses did as Jethro had suggested and he had God's backing on it uh, to have the smaller matters heard by others and then have the major things brought to him. And the bigger anything becomes, the more of that is necessary in order to be sure that everything is taken care of in proper order. But we need to be careful not to have nepotism uh, or favorites, but be fair-handed with everyone so that we all live by the same rules, this Word, and all partake of the Word of God. And I commanded you at that time all the things which you should do. He didn't. He, that's a pretty good summary statement there. He, he didn't go into all the details again. We could go back and read it, but he'll he'll give some of that to us. And when we departed from Horab, we went through all that great and terrible wilderness which you saw by the way of the mountain of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. It's down in the south, a desert land. Um, We're going through a great and terrible spiritual wilderness today. We have the electronic media and everything there is to distract us from what we need to be doing. But it's a great and terrible wilderness and it's hard to get through to reach the promised land. And I said to you, you are come to the mountain of the Amorites, which the eternal, our God, does give to us. I think it's still, again, an interesting parallel that uh, these Mormons, more men, and Amorite, men of more, uh, may be one and the same. God knew what he was doing a long, long time ago when he began to work these things out and prepare a place where he would bring us. Behold, the eternal your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it, as the Lord God of your fathers has said to you, Fear not, neither be discouraged. There are people across the country who see what we're doing, who would like to be part of it on some level, but they fear to. They're afraid to give up whatever it is they have, wherever they've been, their relatives and so on. And they become discouraged and think, well, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. But God says, get up, go do it. Now, I speak on two levels here. I'm speaking of the, on the level of us coming out of this world and going, as God has said, into the open spaces, get away from the midst of Babylon. And I'm also speaking in terms of preparing for the ultimate promised land, the kingdom of God. Fear not, take hold and possess it. Now what did Jacob do when he was in a wrestling match with Jesus Christ? He grabbed on and held on and would not turn loose until he accomplished what he desired. And that's what God expects of us. He doesn't expect us to be spectators and sit back and just let the kingdom of God come to us. He expects us to take hold. And you came near to me, every one of you, and said, We will send men before us, and they shall search out us out the land, and bring us word again by what way we must go up, and into what cities we shall come. He's going back here in history. And the saying pleased me well, and I took twelve men of you, one of a tribe, And they turned and went up into the mountain and came under the valley of Eshcol and searched it out, and they took of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, It is a good land which the eternal our God does give us. They saw them bringing out these huge grapes that would bend the pole. They saw them bringing out samples of what the land had, of what God was promising, what God wished to give them. We have samples throughout this book of God telling us what is there for us if we will but take hold and be willing. So even after seeing the sample, notwithstanding, you would not go up but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. Why are we like that? Why is it God will give us such incredible promises and give us an earnest of those promises in His Holy Spirit and give us what He's given us here and even a place like Zion to meet for the feast? And yet, it's hard for us to get our carnal natures under control, get beyond our own selfishness, and do what God wants done. It's just so hard for us. You rebelled and you murmured in your tents. Now, they weren't in Egypt anymore. They were in their tents. They were on their way, just as we're on our way. But we go into our tents or our mobile homes and we murmur. And said, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. It would be easy for us, wouldn't it? to say, well, God brought us out of Dallas and Miami and New York and San Francisco or wherever, and he just brought us out here to destroy us. Just because we look around and things aren't what we might want them to be, we think God brought us here to destroy us. He brought them out of Egypt to cause them to live. And he brought us out here to live. Let's not lose sight of that. How shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, the people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. They've got high walls around them. We'll never break down those cities. There aren't any jobs out there. And moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakims there. The Anakims were the giants. Scared them half to death. What's the problem? What's the problem? Why, when we look around and see conditions, do we have a problem? Because we don't believe God. Well, let me don't let that cat out of the bag quite. Moses will say it. Then said I to you, Dread not, neither be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of the conditions. The Lord your God, which goes before you, he shall fight for you according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Reminds them of the Red Sea and everything that happened. And in the wilderness where you have seen how that the Lord your God bore you as a man does bear his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in this thing you did not believe the Lord your God. That is our problem. Will I find faith when I come back to this earth, Christ said? Will I find anyone who believes me? I've told you you can have eternal life. I've told you the mystery of the ages. We read it in Isaiah just this week. How God made the whole earth, and he didn't make it in vain. He put men on it, and he didn't put us here in vain. He is going to have a kingdom full of former people. Human beings will inhabit his kingdom. And he will not be a failure. He will do to us whatever is necessary to do to us to get us there. And it may be very, very painful. He did to Israel what was necessary to get them across that wilderness, and it was very painful. They could have gone the way of the Philistines right up the coast and been there in just a matter of a few weeks. But he led them and wandered all through the desert because they did not believe God. Now, do you want to take the shortcut or not? What will it take for the modern-day church to believe God? You see, there's nothing new under the sun. The attitudes that were back then are the same attitudes we wrestle with this very day. Very same attitudes. In this saying, you did not believe the Lord your God, who went in the way before you to search you out of place to pitch your tents in, in fire by night to show you by what way you should go, and in the cloud by day. Now, what could be simpler than that? Leave them out of Egypt with a cloud. You've got a fire at night. You don't have to run around with a little flashlight which you didn't have trying to see your way. And then you had a cloud by day. All you had to do is follow the cloud. He made it as easy as you could possibly make it. I mean the shoes didn't even wear out and their clothes didn't get old. They didn't have D-I or Walmart. Now, when we don't have D.I. or Walmart, God will probably not allow our clothes to wear out either. I suspect that that will be the case. What does God have to do for us before we'll believe? He did that, and they still didn't believe. And the Lord heard the voice of your words and was angry and swore, saying, Surely there shall not one of these men of this evil generation see that good land which I swore to give to your fathers. Save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it, and to him will I give the land that he has trodden upon, and to his children, because he has wholly followed the eternal. Remember, Caleb went in as one of the spies and came out and said, he and Joshua were the only two, and said, we can do it. The rest of them said, oh, they're big in there, they're mean, and they have big high walls around their cities. They've got big grapes, but man, we can't do this thing. Only two came back and said, let's do this. It can be done. And God said, because of that attitude, Caleb's going in. The rest of you aren't. Also the Eternal was angry with me for your sake, saying, You also shall not go in there. He lost his temper because of their attitudes, and as a result of that, he couldn't go in. But Joshua, the son of Nun, which stands before you, he shall go in there. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Moreover, your little ones, which you said should be a prey, and your children, which in that day had no knowledge between good and evil, they shall go in there, and to them will I give it, and they shall possess it. Notice an attitude here. He said, Moreover, your little ones, which you said would become prey to the animals of the desert, or to enemies, or whatever. They had murmured in their tents, saying... God brought us out here to die, and all our children are going to die. Our children won't live. Our children are all going to die. God brought them out here to die. Is that why God brought their children out? But that's what they had thought. But as for you, turn you and take your journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Then you answered and said to me, We have sinned against the Eternal. We will go up and fight according to all that the Eternal our God commanded us. And when you had girded on every man his weapon of war, you were ready to go up to the hill. So sometimes they changed their attitude and did what they ought to do. And there's encouragement there, that we can, brethren, change our attitudes. Do you know that you're not stuck with it just because you've got it? You're stuck with it only if you continue in it. One of the big problems we have, once we have a certain attitude and it has become ours and other people know we have that attitude, we have a problem changing it. Now, if you have an attitude that you've never expressed to anyone else and no one has ever seen you might be willing to change that attitude on your own without anyone else knowing. But once your attitude is known, you face additional problems, and the the basis of those problems is your ego, your vanity. Because you have a wrong attitude, perhaps, And if you are seen to change that attitude, then you are admitting that you had a wrong attitude. And we don't want to admit that. We don't want other people to see that we may have had a wrong attitude. So our lack of humility, our ego, our vanity, will keep us from changing. Because if we do change, once our bad attitude is known, we would be admitting that it was a wrong attitude. And that our psyche sometimes cannot handle. Better to keep your bad attitudes to yourself, between you and God, and change them, or maybe it's better to sometimes... Well, sometimes we share them whether we do it on purpose or not. They just come out. But maybe it would be good for us at that point to go ahead and change them anyway because we'd please God. And people would overlook it and say, that person is humble and they were willing to admit they were wrong and they changed. And that really would go up as a... Good mark on us, wouldn't it? That we were willing to change and be different. But often we want, we won't because our egos will not allow it. That's another good reason God wants us to get rid of our egos and to be humble like little children. Sometimes Israel was willing to change. I mean, what's so wrong with admitting we were wrong anyway? We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all made mistakes. There is none that has sinned, not sinned, no, not one. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So why can't we just admit when we're wrong, change our attitudes, be blessed for it, and others will mark it up as something good? Ego simply has to be gotten rid of. There's no room for vanity, ego, and pride. That will be said over and over throughout the Bible, and we will hear it often because spiritual pride is one of the biggest reasons the church is where the church is today. Verse 42, And the Lord said to me, Say to them, Go not up, neither fight, for I am not among you, lest you be smitten before your enemies. So I spoke to you, and you would not hear, but rebelled against the commandment of the eternal and went presumptuously up into the hill. So even though we said we will fight, then God said, no, don't fight. I want you to stand still and see my salvation. Well, we've decided to fight, and we're going to fight. And presumption is his witchcraft and can get you killed. What happened? And the Amorites, which dwelt in that mountain, came out against you and chased you as bees do, and destroyed you in Seir, even to Horma. Ever been chased by bees? I've been chased by wasps and bees. And I'll tell you what, when they're after me, I have fled... As fast as I could go. Knock down a wasp nest sometime and just see how fast you can run. When God sends enemies after us, we'll be in trouble. Wouldn't it be better to submit? Just do what he says. The enemies are coming. What does God tell us to do? Seek him, don't fear the enemies. Don't fear this world, don't fear the beast, don't fear the new world order, fear God. So a lot of people in the church spend 80% of their study time or whatever percentage searching the internet to see who's coming against us and how many of them there will be and when is it going to happen and just how is it going to happen. I really could care less in many respects. Because knowing who's going to do it, knowing how they might do it, won't protect you from it. The only thing that will protect you from it is obeying God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. And then it won't matter when they come, who they are, how they come, or anything else. The main focus should be on getting close to God, because he's our salvation. So they chased you like bees and destroyed you, and you returned and wept before the eternal, but the Lord would not hearken to your voice nor give ear to you. Sometimes it doesn't do any good to go to God if we have done contrary to His will and His way. It's much easier to go to Him and present your supplication and your prayer and get an answer if you're being obedient. Isn't it easy for children or easier for them to go to their parents and receive the desires of their heart if they're being obedient and respectful and loving? Or is it easier to go when you will not obey, talk back, sass your parents, rebel, and then ask for something? Good luck. So you abode in Kadesh many days, according to the days that you abode there. Now God would have taken them on through. But they didn't do what he said, so they had to wait. Does that feel like anything we have experienced in the last couple of decades? Then we turn chapter 2 and took our journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. As the Lord spoke to me, and we compassed Mount Seir many days. They did a lot of sitting on their hands. A lot of time to think about what they were doing. Do we stop to think through what we're doing? Many times that's all a parent wants a young couple to do. Think through what you wish to do. Sometimes they're so overcome by emotion they simply cannot think clearly. And they make mistakes that they rue to their dying day because they simply would not listen and think things through and were being guided by the emotion of the moment. So many people have messed their lives up that way. The Lord spoke to me saying, You've compassed this mountain long enough, turn you northward. And command you, the people saying, you are to pass through the coast of your brethren, the children of Esau, which dwell in Seir, and they shall be afraid of you. Take you good heed to yourselves, therefore. Meddle not with them, for I will not give you of their land, no, not so much as a foot breadth, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau for possession. Don't lust after or covet what those people have, because you're not going to get it, God says, that's not what you're supposed to have. There's a lot that has been given to the Edomite today, the financial system of the United States and the world, and it is not something that brings blessing. It is something that is becoming very rapidly a curse on our people. It'll have to be changed. You shall buy meat of them for money that you may eat, and you shall also buy water of them for money that you may drink. For the eternal, your God, has blessed you in all the works of your hand. He knows you're walking through this great wilderness. These forty years, the eternal, your God, has been with you. You have lacked nothing. God had taken care of them. He did say they could buy things from the Edomites uh, for money, but don't expect to take over everything they have. That isn't what God had in mind for them. We have to have commerce with this world to one degree or another, but it isn't really what God is after. And when we passed by, verse 8, from our brethren, the children of Esau, which dwelt in Seir, through the way of the plain from Elath and from Ezion-Gaber, we turned and passed by the way of the wilderness of Moab. And the Lord said to me, Dispress not the Moabites, neither contend with them in battle, for I will not give you of their land for a possession, because I've given R to the children of Lot for a possession. The Imims dwelt therein in times past, the people great and many and tall as the Anakims. Here was another area they were going to go through, but it's not going to be yours. And we're going through a lot of things in this world today. But God says, this isn't ultimately what I want for you. I've got something better for you ahead. So we should not get our heart set on the things that we see as we journey through this life. Our heart has to be set on what God has planned for us, and we've got to believe Him. See, it comes back to that. Does God have something better for us planned, than what we see as we go through this life. You better believe he does. It's just hard for us to get our eyes off of the glittering array of what's offered as we pass through. Remember, we're pilgrims. And that's basically what Moses is telling them. We're pilgrims in the land. Ambassadors for Christ. Can you hear okay? getting louder out there. Can't go home in this. Maybe we'll just have Bible study to quits. We might get through Deuteronomy tonight. Or by, by dawn. Uh, let's see. Then verse 12. The Horems also dwelt in Seir before time... For the children of Esau succeeded them when they destroyed them from before them and dwelt in their stead as Israel lived in the land of his possession, which eternal gave to them. Now rise up, said I. This is still a history lesson to remind them of what they had done and what they'd been through. And we need to be reminded once in a while of what we've been through and worldwide and how hard it's been and learn some lessons so that we don't repeat the same mistakes over and over again. Why would we need to want to go through what we went through again? You know what? We could. If we don't learn the lessons that God intended us to learn by scattering us as a church, If we don't get the lessons now, what's he going to do next? He's going to put us through the Great Tribulation. And we'll have these same lessons to learn, but it's just going to get much tougher. So far, we've been through some mental and emotional and nervous anxiety and difficulty, haven't we? But we've not been through physical deprivation, we've not been physically beat, we've not been physically put to the sword, we have not starved physically, if we don't get the spiritual lessons, if we continue to repeat the attitudes we had in worldwide, if we don't get over them, if we don't change them, then we're going to go through it again, but this next time it's going to get tougher and tougher. Israel went through it over and over and over again. You and I go through it over and over every day, don't we? We wake up to a new day, God gives us a new start, and we deal with the same old attitudes. We have the same frustrations and difficulties. When will we learn to change our attitudes so that we can be blessed and not have to keep going through worse and worse and worse conditions. But it seems that's the human state. And I guess the only way we're going to learn is the hard way. That's just the way we are. But we're going through the hard way, aren't we, spiritually speaking? Aren't we going through the hard way now? Wouldn't it have been better had we swallowed our pride and our vanity and our ego and not gotten so spiritually proud so that we thought we had need of nothing and we were okay since we were in the church. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, as Jeremiah says. We're in the church. Everything will be okay. And we weren't doing what we needed to do. And look at us today. Are we going to be the same way now that we were then? And God is going to have to drop the other foot? Do we sit and wait for the other shoe to fall? Or do we make some changes and be blessed instead of having to have the other shoe fall? That's exactly where we are today, brethren. We have an opportunity and space to change and repent and be different, not be the way we've been. Has the way we've been made us happy? Or as Dr. Phil puts it, how's it working for you? (laughs) How's it working for you? You know, people say, yeah, but I, uh, how's it working for you? I like that line. That's a good one. Not doing too well, huh? Well, then maybe you need to change some things. They don't want to hear that. They want to hear that I can keep doing what I want to do, and you have some magic pill and can pat my head and everything will be rosy in my life. Just not the way it works. So he continues their little history lesson. Then I said, rise up and get you over the brook Zered. And we went over the brook Zered. And the space in which we came from, Kadesh Barnea, until we were come over to the Brooks Arid was 38 years. Well, we've been pushing 20, haven't we? Already. Since Mr. Armstrong died, and things began to fall apart wholesale... Thirty-eight years till all the generation of the men of war were wasted out from among the host, or had died, as the Eternal swore to them. For indeed, the hand of the Eternal was against them to destroy them from among the host until they were consumed. Now, yeah, I, I think we should find it encouraging in a way that God was a little displeased with worldwide. He was, he was somewhat displeased with all of us, as Zechariah points out. And when the heathen came in, the Tkachas, and took us, began to take the church into Babylon, God became sorely displeased. He wasn't entirely displeased with those of us who were trying to do what was right in whatever way we were, but when we went into wholesale paganism, he became very displeased. And perhaps those people that have gone that way are simply written off to go into the tribulation now. There's very little hope for them now that they have abandoned so much. For us, there is still hope. For us, there is opportunity and space to repent. And we've had nearly 20 years. How are we coming along? How are we coming along? Man, you could think you could do a lot of repenting in 20 years. You could do a lot of changing in 20 years, couldn't you? But my experience with myself and with others has been that generally speaking, men change very slowly. It reminds me of program sometimes Marla and I watch on Saturday night called The Red Green Show. It's on PBS at 10.30. It's, it's, it's a funny little thing. It's essentially clean, but just slapstick and cute. It's, it's out of Canada and they call the place Possum Lodge. But they have, the, they have the men's prayer at the end of every program. And they all have to say in unison, The man's prayer. Or or is it a prayer? I guess they call it a prayer. I'm a man, but I can change if I have to, I guess. This just reminded me of that. do change slowly, don't we? Well, you know, if you change slow, if God has, God wants you to be here, and you're here, and you're changing ever so slowly, he's only given you so many years down here on this earth, and then we're at the end time, and even that may get cut short. So if he's going to get you here, he's going to have to apply what? Pressure. That's what it takes to get us to change, is Pressure. So he's put a lot of pressure on, and he's going to put more pressure on. And if we don't change, he's just going to put more pressure on. What's the solution? Change slowly and get more pressure? We all know that's not logical. Change fast. Get where you want to be, so he'll take the pressure off. But boy, do we resist. We just, well, he said we're like a backsliding heifer. If you've ever tried to pull a heifer that's not been taught to lead, you know what he meant. They plant all four feet and lean back against the pull of the rope. And that's the way we as human beings tend to be. Thirty-eight years. That seems like a waste, doesn't it? I've read those scriptures over the years and thought, man, why did those people just quit griping and complaining and just be happy? Be thankful God was bringing them out and make whatever changes they needed to make. I remember reading those when I was a young man and wondering, well, why didn't they just change? And I look at myself as an old man, and I think, why didn't I just change? Well, I guess I've changed some, and we all have. But we sure do drag our feet. For indeed, the hand of the Eternal was against them, to destroy them from among the host until they were consumed. He's going to do the exact same thing all over again with Israel, isn't he? He's going to bring the great tribulation upon our people. And he is going to just put it to us until we are consumed. You and I have the opportunity to miss that. So it came to pass, when all the men of war were consumed and dead from among the people, that the Lord spoke to me, saying, You are to pass over through Ar, the coast of Moab, this day. Or the river Arnon, which we'll see in verse 24, means the gates of joy in Hebrew. And when you come near over against the children of Ammon, distress them not, nor meddle with them, for I will not give you of the land of the children of Ammon any possession, because I have given it to the children of Lot for possession. God promises something. He sees that it's done. Now don't start lusting after that which you can't have. Wait until you come to what I have reserved for you. So I've given that to Lot, verse 20, that also was accounted a land of giants. Giants dwelt there in an old time, and the Ammonites called them Zamzumins. I should have looked that up to see what that means. A people great and many and tall is the Anakims, but the Eternal destroyed them before them, and they succeeded them and dwelt in their stead, as he did to the children of Esau, which dwelt in Seir when he destroyed the Horems from before them, and they succeeded them and dwelt in their stead even to this day. And the Avims, which dwelt in Hatzarim, or Hatzirim, even unto Asa, the Kapturims, which came forth out of Kaphtor destroyed them and dwelt in their stead. God's saying, or Moses is saying, all these people had their place and they got replaced. Now you're going to replace somebody, so get with it. Verse 24, rise you up, take your journey, and pass over the river Arnon, or the gates of joy. Behold, I've given into your hand Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land. Begin to possess it and contend with him in battle. So says, fight for the right things, fight for what I want you to fight for. Don't fight against me, and don't fight where you want to fight. Fight for what I have given you to fight for. Are we fighting for the things of this world? Or are we seeking treasure in heaven and fighting for what God wants us to fight for? There's New Testament teaching for you. And here it is, planted back in the Old Testament. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's what he's reserved for us. That's what's important for us to be seeking. But we let so many other things come into mind that we would rather have at the moment. Now, overall, we know we'd rather be there. But right now, I want to do this. Did you ever hear that song, Prop Me Up Before the Jukebox Before I Die? I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to go tonight, or prop me up when I die. Didn't want to leave the bar, didn't want to leave the jukebox, didn't want to leave the drinking, didn't want to leave whatever it is that he enjoyed in the bar. Yeah, I want to go to heaven someday, but I don't want to go tonight. When? Do we want to go God's way? When do we want to change? Do we want to just be like we are, and then poof, he just changes us, and we didn't have to do a thing? You've been watching too much Disney, if you think that. It's not the way it is. God says to him that overcomes will I grant to be a part of my kingdom. And you've got to start sometime actually making some changes. If you don't do it, it'll never happen. You ever notice that? If you're actually going to make something, you have to get out hammers and saws and, and actually do it. It doesn't do any good to dream about it. It doesn't do any good to fantasize about it. You actually have to do something. Anytime anyone has accomplished anything, they had to actually do something. They're dreamers, they're fantasizers, but you have to prepare, you have to have a plan, and you have to execute it. If you don't execute it, it never gets done. Same is true of becoming a god. If you don't have a plan and do something about it, you'll never get, you'll never be there. It's not going to just happen. That's one of Satan's greatest deceptions in Protestantism, is you don't have to do anything but accept the Lord, and you're saved. You can live any way you want to live, basically, because you're saved. That's the underlying theme of those religions. It's not what the book says. Begin to possess it. Contend in battle. What is our fight against principalities and powers, against demons and wickedness in high places, against temptation of the flesh? God tempts no man. It's our own flesh that tempts us. Contend in battle. This day will I begin to put the dread of you and the fear of you upon the nations that are under the whole heaven, who shall hear report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. Now isn't that what we're reading in the prophecies? That if we will obey God and he begins to use us as his witnesses against the world, that he is God, they are going to begin to actually fear us because they see a people who are different than they are who have God's ear and God's eye upon them, us. And when they see God working through us, they'll fear. But if they don't see us any different than they are, what do they have to be afraid of? If we will do what God wants us to do and begin to possess and contend and to fight, eventually, this world is going to fear us. Won't accept us, won't believe us, but they'll fear us. We'll be a light on a hill. And I sent messengers out of the wilderness of Kadamoth unto Sihon, king of Heshbon, with words of peace, saying... Let me pass through your land. I will go along by the highway. I will either turn to the right hand or to the left. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just say to the people of this world, we're headed to the kingdom of God. Just let us go on through. We won't bother you, and please don't bother us. Just, just let us do this. It doesn't work that way, does it? They encompass us round about and try to divert us from where we're trying to go. And we look at what they're doing and think, oh my, that looks fun. Instead of going and doing what we need to do. You shall sell me meat for money that I may eat and give me water for money that I may drink, only I will pass through on my feet. I'll just keep on walking. I'll buy from you, I'll give you money, give me what I need and let me go on through. As the children... Of Esau which dwell in Seir and the Moabites which dwell in Ar did, did to me, until I shall pass over Jordan to the land which the Eternal our God gives us. I'm not I'm not after what you got. I'm after what God has for me over there. But Sihon king of Heshbon would not let us pass by him, for the Eternal your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate that he might deliver him into your hand as he appears this day. Now doesn't that sound like? the yoke that the king of Babylon has saddled us with. And wouldn't let us go on. They try to, he, he tries to hold us back in every absolute way he can. Isn't this world stacked against you obeying God? This is Satan's society. He is the prince of the power of the air and the ruler of this world. And his goal and purpose is to keep everyone from being part of the kingdom of God. That's his avowed goal. And he has absolutely stacked the deck against us in everything he does in this society and culture. He has made it contrary to the way of God in every way he possibly can to make it difficult for us to be be what we ought to be. And God does not break that yoke from off our neck. He tells us to what? Isaiah 52. Break the yoke. Quit being walked on. Sit up. Don't take it anymore. That's what he tells us to do. Didn't God harden Pharaoh's heart until it was time for him to deliver them with miracles? And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have begun to give Sihon and his land before you. Begin to possess that you may inherit his land. It's, it's a process. Begin to possess. We come to have God's character and live like him, step by step, day by day, beginning to possess. And it takes time. It's not easy. Then Sihon came out against us, he and all his people, to fight at Jehaz." And the Lord our God delivered him before us, and we smote him and his sons and all his people. Let God fight your battles. Turn it over to him, instead of trying to fight it yourself all the time. Now, we have to do our part, but we have to have faith and trust that he'll take care of us. And he says he will, and he did here, didn't he? He's rehearsing this history of how God delivered you. And the Lord our God delivered him before us, and we smote him and his sons and his people, And we took all his cities at that time and utterly destroyed the men and the women and the little ones of every city. We left none to remain, only the cattle we took for a prey unto ourselves and the spoil of the cities which we took. From Aroer, which is by the brink of the river of Arnon, and from the city that is by the river, even to Gilead, there was not one city too strong for us. The Lord our God delivered all to us. God can overcome anything if we will but yield to him. But that's where we have the problem, and that's where their problem was. Stubborn and stiff-necked and unyielding to the words of God, whatever the subject might be. Only to the land of the children of Ammon you came not, nor unto any place of the river Jabbok, nor unto the cities in the mountains, nor unto whatsoever the Lord our God forbade us. Only when we were going to the cities and the country and the people that God wanted us to have did God deliver us. But if we went contrary in some other direction than what God wanted, then he didn't. And that's what he has told us he will do. I'll be with you if you'll do what I want you to do. But if you don't, watch out. The other shoe's coming down. Well, this is dry old Deuteronomy, but boy, to me, it so very much fits our situation today and what we're going through. There are many, many lessons we can learn from history and what Israel experienced, and that's why God wrote it down here, and that's why Moses even reminded those people who had gone through it what they'd been through. And here we are many, many thousands of years later, and it's just as new to me today as I read this and I can see us and what we're doing and the lessons are all there to be learned all over again. And hopefully we'll yield better than those people did and the story will come out better for us. So that's, I think, plenty for tonight. Let's stop there and we can pick this story up perhaps next time.